pay you. Yes, I mean you, dear listener. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this Warui Desho podcast. We're so happy to have the pleasure of your company today. If you've listened to us before and like our show, you might be wondering how you can support us, since we won't take your money. This podcast will continue to be free, but if you'd like to show your appreciation, please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes, as those help our discoverability. If you don't use iTunes, that's fine too. You can follow us and like and share our content on SoundCloud and Twitter. Additionally, we love getting your feedback, positive or negative. Tweet us at Show or email us at waterwaydeshow at gmail.com. Whether or not it gets read on the show, I can assure you, we all read every tweet and email you send us. And once again, dear listener, we thank you so much. Now please, enjoy the show. Hello everyone and welcome back to Wari Desho and the French Toast Hour plus change. We are now back for Frank's episode 10 or Frank's triple X as it finally has come to pass. Um, but there's nothing really that X-rated about this episode I'm afraid. I was hoping for something a bit more saucy than what we got. Unless you, you know, like your women, like you like your wine. Really, really old. Ah. Moving away from that, uh, joining me as always in the digital broom cupboard where we, you know, record this show is none other than human being extraordinaire and genuinely swell guy, the Saw Doxer. I'm sitting under my uh, Vin Diesel triple X poster and I am standing up right now and in honor of Frank's X, I am doing the... Degeneration X crotch chop at the microphone. Nice, nice. I was personally thinking of the opening uh, song for Triple X, which was a uh, Ramstein. Can't go wrong with something that you know, some old German metal. No, indeed, indeed. Or nor the Degeneration X theme music, in my opinion. <laughs> it's uh it's probably pretty cheesy for anyone to you know listen to it today for the first time. But uh, you know, as a teenager, when you're rooting for the uh this particular heel wrestling faction uh you enjoy when when they come out to their theme music it's good stuff mm-hmm. it makes me happy because it's so it, now it just makes me happy much like this show makes me happy because it's so stupid <laughs> uh, yeah that's true frank's 10 i'll preface anything we have to say about this episode by just saying that only in the previous stream of thought that we did I said, what, when are we going to get a Zorame episode? And, well, there is the old, you know, saying of ask and you shall receive. And, well, <laughs> I appreciate the show's, like, you know, forthrightness in giving me stuff like that. But I did also ask for it to be good, and I didn't get that. So, Aww. points for effort, I suppose, Aww. for Darling and the Franks. That's something, at least. What are you talking about? This episode was, I thought it was really riveting. I mean... The serial killer was in space with them, like unfrozen. With the wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you thinking of Dracula Three Thousand? There, I'm thinking of Jason X. 
God damn it. Wrong X. <laughs> Both of those films are as bad as each other, to be quite honest. Don't uh, don't watch either of those, uh, people listening at home. Yeah. And if you have already watched them, you can fix, you know, this issue. You can re- not remember them anymore by taking a blunt object and hitting yourself over the head. I recommend at least four or five times for optimal effects here. Or you could just clean the bathroom for a month, like Zorame, and then you'd forget. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you are you trying? To, are you trying to set me off early? Are you trying to? Are you, do you know? You, like, fuck hell. Doc at this point is is like you know those JRPG protagonists always going for the weak spot, always trying to optimize his damage. He knows how to push my fucking buttons, just like this show. Actually, I mean, fucking hell. I only said just last episode. Let's have a zombie episode, and we get it, and I'm like, oh well, that was that was like twenty three minutes of something. I guess. Me and the show are, are double-teching you. I fucking knew it. I <laughs> knew it all along. You backstabbing son of a bitch. I mean, I expected it from this show, but not from you, Doc. Why? Why would you do this to me? <laughs> Whatever. Adds poison resin to dagger. Absolutely. I mean, etu, Doc. Etu. I'm afraid so. It's the, thing, the things I'll do for my mecha, you have no idea. The things the mecha won't do for you, though. I mean, let's just twist that around there for you. Okay. So, like last week, uh, I was only able to get one credit. F- fucking everyone is slacking. I feel like this is... Just, people are just becoming... E- even the, like, researchers, the apathy is seeping in. They they can't help it. We're the only two people watching this show anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. How is it so high in the Crunchyroll list? Uh, I don't know, as a silent movie, perhaps? <laughs> <laughs> it's just gotta be some sort of database error or a savage commentary on the rest of the anime this season. Maybe, maybe Dali and the Franks is really just the anime version of clickbait. Devoid of value, but designed to sicker everyone in. Yeah, I went there. I sound farther away from the microphone because I've sat back in my chair because of what you've done <laughs> just now. You've made me... <laughs> You made me recoil slightly. <laughs> All right. Leaning back into optimal position. Just to get ready to respond to that. Go on, Doc. What do you have to say to my click? Nothing. I don't... Nothing. Nothing. I think... I think that that might be, like... When the show is over, that might be the thing to write on its tombstone. Oh, you know, the back of the DVD. Dar- Frank's, you know, Frank's January 2018 to july 2018 was clickbait <laughs> as good as seven minute abs and about as useful it's the 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 buzzfeed listicle of anime but yes uh, tell us about the one person who works on this entire episode I know. because yeah by all accounts it's no one else i mean i couldn't even get the episode director it was not on wikipedia or ann or mal the only pl- the places a scrub like me claiming do you know that's where i get that's that's where i do my research uh if you have any other suggestions that don't involve like directly contacting the people that make the show uh oh, they don't want to hear from me that's i sure. i think they probably have better things to do than like answer those sort of they're probably behind schedule and don't need to be distracted by my tweets but uh so the i found out that um masahiro otsuka was the screenwriter for this episode. Uh, he also wrote episode three, if you can remember far back as episode three. 
I can barely remember what episode three was even about. I know that that was like the midst of here. No, I do remember. I do remember actually, because it's one of the things that really fucking annoyed me. That was the episode in which Hero, you know, battered past his fucking responsibility for apologizing to Ichigo, to Goro, mm. on the bridge. And now I'm mad again. Now I'm gonna. Oh, fuck you, you piece of <laughs> shit. I remember it. I remember it being the bounce back from episode two, which um, ended on a very sour note for me. But Otsuka wrote this, uh, and he is kind of a, I would say one of the bigger deals at uh, Trigger came over from Gainax. He was the director of of half of uh, Furikuri, episodes one, four, and six. He scripted and storyboarded six episodes of Gurren Lagann for Gainax. Um, he directed five episodes and was the assistant episode director for the finale. Speaking of the finales, he directed the Kill la Kill finale, as well as episode 13 of that show. Did some work on, uh, some directing work on Kisniver. Did some more writing work on Little Witch Academia. He wrote the script for the movie and the screenplay for five of the TV episodes. So, uh, you know, he's worked on Evangelion as the assistant episode director for a few of those. So... A person, a man who's been around the block, has has been at the helm of a lot of Gynax and Trigger projects. So a seasoned hand holding the pen for this episode. Yep. He not only wrote the script, he then drew an animated it entirely with one pyro. <laughs> well. Absolute magic. Can't, can't be replicated anymore. That's right. Okay. Okay. So since we only had one credit this week, there was like, you know, this was all created by one person. I suppose now we should actually talk about what happens in this episode. So, as I alluded to before, this is a Zoromi episode. Uh, but it starts off actually with, you know, the openings to Fallout 3. Tell me, talk to me about this, because I've never played Fallout 3. Um, Fallout 3 opens with the lead character being born. Right. And I'm fairly certain that's the dream that yeah. Zoromi has here. Yeah. That he's being born. So poor fucking Zoromi, war never changes. He's getting put in the world <laughs> of Fallout 3. And he's got to break out of Vault 101 and... Well, I'm going to pitch a question to the folks in the audience here. Would Zorame blow up Megaton or not? Answers on a postcard. I reckon he would, but I reckon he'd do it completely by accident because he's a clumsy idiot. And then Liam Neeson's like, you've done a bad thing. We'll talk about this later. (laughs) You've just gone and killed everyone. That's all right. Let's go, boy. Yes, let's go and continue on, even though you are literally... I mean, you're a mass murderer. (laughs) You are a bad bad fucking person. Ah... Classic basic morality. I've not played it, but you know, I've seen YouTube videos about it, so I know the more, of the more infamous moments. You, you've avoided what is basically seventy hours of consuming wallpaper paste. Oh my god! There's like there's bits to it, and there's ideas behind it, but it's just a cohesive mess, shall we say? <laughs> anyway, we're not here to talk about Fallout. Uh, joking aside, this dream that Zorame has of him seeing a blinding light and then coming out. I'm that my interpretation is that's his birth. So, however, it transitions from him screaming as he comes out of the you know to him screaming in battle because <laughs> much like the previous episode, and the, I was like, oh god, we really are repeating. You know, we're all hitting the same notes over mm-hmm. and over again here. Uh, we're starting off with another battle at the opening, which I think is now free for free. Yeah, throw throw a bone to the uh, battle choreographers and animators give them their couple minutes to animate here 
Let's have an actual robot fight in this robot show very briefly. Okay, I'll, I'll be, again, just say that it doesn't necessarily to have robot fights all the time if the character stuff is good. Indeed. But, well, <clears throat> so... And they actually all look, like, fairly competent. I was shocked. Yeah. Even uh, Kokoro and... Um... Futoshi. Oh boy, I can never remember Futoshi's name. They never fucking say it. Kokoro and Futoshi, like, they even do a good thing. They, like, chop off a leg. And they're just like, holy yeah. shit! They are not completely useless in a fight. It's amazing. They have, you know, they have some use, finally. Although this Klaxosaur puts up so little of a fight. Like, yeah. I honestly thought it was, like, you know, grazing for pasture or something. <laughs> this is the vegetarian <laughs> one. You're bullying the non-carnivorous Klaxosaur. Which is rude. But um, yes, they're fighting another Klaxosaur out in the open again. So we've got another repeat of like this kind of cold open. And you might recall in episode 9 that Zorame's going to Zorame being a thing. Yeah. That he decided, oh, I'll just jump in and have a crack at it. You know, what's the possible harm in that? And that nearly got Goro killed previously. Although that is also partially Goro's I mean, fault. Uh... Did he learn from that lesson? No, of course he didn't. Kick, no, kick Zorame, back and watch, just... hero. I got this. Even though it was only the fucking previous episode that his antics nearly got him and Miku killed, and also then nearly got Goro and Ichigo killed, and, and, and many, Just... many people for that matter. Because thinking more and more on it, Zorame's actions almost killed thousands of people. <laughs> but like root cause, Zorame nearly ended up destroying Plantation 13, the place he professes to protect so much. Oops. Maybe he really would blow up Megaton. I mean, fucking hell. But, okay, okay, I'll be I'll be fair. He does actually pull it off, though. Like, the Klaxosaur's weak spot is yeah. exposed. He, go, he goes in, stabs it, and he wins. The, the Klaxosaur dies and then barfs all over. Because, yeah. um, uh, once again, well, it's not Jackal at this time, mind you, so that's an improvement, I suppose. Or is it? <laughs> well, for a triple X episode, it actually is, a, you know, kind of a disappointment that there's no, you know... yeah. Sexual stuff in this blue gusher. Yeah, there's there's no uh, there's no smut in this particular episode. Although I must say, like you know, since boys versus girls episode, Franks has kept fairly true to the no, no fan service thing. So who knows? There might be a ray of light at the end of this very dark and miserable tunnel. Hmm. I will keep. I'm keeping my comments to myself. <laughs> let's let's proceed to the Robo Bishops. Oh no! Let's not. <laughs> I'm so fucking bored of hearing them talk. I am just totally at my wits end every time I see these useless motherfuckers badger on about things that I could not care less about. Have, have their design changed? I feel like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm just completely like my brain is dumping the images of them before, but I thought they all looked the same. And in, in this shot, like there was at least one that was distinctive from the others. Yeah, uh, they're actually part of what's called ape. Um, right, we mentioned right. Ape before, no, ape because they don't. They don't tell us what it is. They just say it. Yeah, it's an it's an acronym. But for what I don't know, although I will note that most of the Robo Bishops do have like monkey faces. I... <laughs> is that true? <laughs> just just go back and check right now, Doc. I'll I'll hang fire while you find a still frame. Just the just the masks. Like I want to. Yeah. I just want to walk up and put a coin in the side and look through to see the Statue of Liberty. They look like those things where you look across New York Harbor or whatever. It's true. It's true. But Or 
like discarded kill zone designs of the fucking hell guest. <laughs> Jesus Christ. So once again, the robo bishops are chatting about shit that I really do not care about because delivering exposition, like, and trying to, you know, hint that there's some sort of, like, grand plan behind, like, these puppet master people is one of the lamest ways you can try and build tension and also deliver exposition simultaneously. I'm just bored to fucking death of it. It was also, like, super, like, what sort I'm looking for? Shit. Well, it just felt kind of unnatural insofar as, you know, they are expressing individuality. It is ironically making them good in a fight. Yet we at ape, no, it isn't. We at ape desire conformity and oh, sameness. God, you're right. <laughs> like it just like um, it read like a fucking uh, concept outline or something more so than a. I don't know why. By the way, I was delivering that in the voice of Sam the Eagle. We at ape love a conformity <laughs> and a sameness. I, I thought I thought you were saying it's a Yoda. Actually, to be honest, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, they kind of blend together. I think they're both Frank Oz. Pilot the Franks, you must hero. <laughs> I can't do a Yoda impression, I'm very sorry. I apologize to Frank Oz, who I totally know listens to this podcast, for <laughs> butchering an impression of him. Uh, what I do want to butcher, though, is over what things that are said in this particular scene. I mean, I have to ask now, right? The, these guys, these apes, these <laughs> robo-bishops, these fucking Vatican Pontifrat techno-what's-it-bollock-meisters, I don't know. Like, they keep saying... Plantation 13's goal is to get 0-2 to the Grand Cavass. And right. I'm like, okay, cool. Why are, why aren't they going? What's stopping them from going? Why, why, don't you, why don't they go right now? Why, why are you not going? Why are you not going with every Franks <laughs> under your command? And then they're like, let's reward the kids. And I'm just like, we just no! did that! We've been doing that for three weeks! They went to the yes! beach. They they had their, their fun hot springs. To, like... Uh, I think they've just been sitting on their asses. Like, Papa sent them presents, you know? Yeah. I mean... What the fuck? It's time to it's time to mobilize. <laughs> it's time for something to fucking happen. I... Ah, oh, fuck my life. But, like, what is stopping them from just going to the Grand Crevasse? Is there, like... Like, that's the end game at this point. They've, they've said it so many times that it can't not be the end game. I would suspect that it is the... Like, that's going to be the first, um, the end of, like, the first kind of big chapter or whatever. Like, they'll, they'll, they'll get there at the halfway point and have some kind of big twist if, if, uh, if I had to bet on it. Oh, fucking hell. Just, just send them. Like, there's nothing stopping them from going. If you want to get them there, if you want to get Zero Two there, send them. Send the other Franks under your command. Just, just go. (laughs) Don't beat around the fucking bush here. Let's like, kick the can least... down the road, though. <laughs> Again. Like, that can has now crossed at least five state mm-hmm. lines. They, I've, yeah. I've, it feels, I don't know this to be the case, but it feels like uh, they just, they didn't really have enough material to connect their opening salvo to the midpoint they wanted to get to. Nope. You know? And, and so we get a, a lot of stuff that could probably easily be cut out if this was all made into a compilation movie or two yeah you could probably do like a streamlined edit of this show that cuts down the material by half which you really shouldn't have be the case like everything should be meaningful and relevant and to be fair there are bits are 
relevant, if not properly utilized in this episode. But every time the Robo Bishops come up and just remind us all that they're there <laughs> and they've like got this like grand plan going on behind the background and they're cackly and twirling their Robo mustaches. I'm just like, I don't care. I could not give less of a shit right now. And honestly, the, the only grand crevasse that this show has is the arse from which the writers are <laughs> pulling. I knew it. <laughs> you, knew, you knew I was going there. Like, that's the only grand crevasse I know of where all this fucking shit keeps flowing from that I just fucking bores me to death. Yeah, this was the um, least good part of the episode. Like, all the the beginning stuff that, that they did before before we get back to Zorame here. Indeed. Let's actually get back to Zorame then. So once again, he and Miku are fighting after the mm-hmm. um, after every turn back to the hangars. And, you know, that's all well and good. Zorame and Miku are an amusing couple. Like they, you know, them fighting is their shtick. That's their thing. That's always cool to watch and all that. Yeah. But yeah. Uh, Zero Two is on a downer, as it turns out. Mm. I mean, Hero, Hero might, you know... He might generally have an aversion to paying attention to what's in front of him, uh, other people's feelings. And, <laughs> not uh, even he, not even he could miss this one. <laughs> no, he, no, it was written all over a face. To be fair, so as Miku and Zorame argue, Nana comes in because she's of course had word from the Robo Bishops that mm-hmm. you know they're going to give them awards, specifically medals. There's going to be a ceremony in which they will come into the city, which is a big deal. A big deal. It has never happened before, apparently. Children have never entered the city. <sighs> Which can't... Man, when I read that at first, I was just like, what? Come on. Really? But then, as the episode unfolds, it begins to seem, you know, entirely plausible. But we also get mm-hmm. to see Zorame, like, preening and strutting, which is hilarious. Yeah. Uh, he's very happy to get to wear his official cape and uh, hat. Yes, he gets to wear the formal uh, attire for this. And this has been consistent with his character. I mean, I alluded to many times that Zorame is going to have that moment, you know, because he's been saying so long, I want to be an adult so bad, like, I can't wait to get into the city and, you know, be an adult and all that. And, well, even in this very episode where he finally meets an adult, they're still having him say this in such a way that's just ultimately setting him up for disappointment. Which is fine, because obviously no matter what he was going to find or what would have happened once he got outside the city, he was not going to, it was not going to live up to his expectations. Nothing could have done that. However, my problem is that what actually does happen here doesn't seem to affect him ultimately in the end in a really significant way, at least it's the way I read it. But we will cover that when we get to the end of the episode and we actually detail what the meeting with the adult entails. Uh, so for the moment, Zorame is indeed, you know, drinking up the moment. He's enjoying every second of it. He's also, like, really nervous, which you wouldn't expect from him because he's consistently, you know, <laughs> I'm big swinging dick around here and I do as I please. So, yep, he's going to be heading out to <clears throat> to the city with the rest of the team. Uh, while this is happening, by the way, Zero Two is standing at the back because she's still, you know, not in a particularly great mood. And she is told by Nana that she has to go and have tests done. Uh, what are these tests, you ah. might ask? Are they spelling tests? Are they, you know, medical tests? Are they driving tests? Um, you know, IQ? Well, they make her f- they make her feel bad, is all we know. Yeah. Uh, if I had to, if I had to take a guess, I would guess that <sighs> the dentists. 
they are they are either some sort of uh test to check her balance between sort of humanness and klaxosaurness or perhaps a test to see if she is maturing into adulthood because that's a thing that is not allowed mm-hmm well uh, it would help if you know the show would properly define what it means to be an adult it certainly doesn't in this episode or at least doesn't do it too thoroughly it might but but also like i don't know i mean i don't want to give frags a bunch of credit and be like it's actually this is what it wants you to think about like so i don't know i i am happy to i'm I'm happy to not have a definition from them and kind of speculate and and think about it i'm glad for that because the episode actually in another moment does live very 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 close to outright just Oh, I just wanted to say it on fire, like the whole <laughs> show, when it, when it nearly got to this particular line. But again, I'm going to have to get to that as we come to it. But yes, she's going for tests, and Heroes looks very concerned about this. And, you know, we had that conversation about, you know, maybe caring about what the girls think, and maybe asking more detail about it. And to be fair, Zero Two, you know, is fairly clamshell on this. She doesn't, you know, want to really open up about it. Yeah. But, might have helped if he just asked a little more. I'm not going to hold it against him because this is actually the C plot in this episode. This barely even registers for like most of it. Right. So whatever. Who cares? So off they go to the city. This actually, by the way, um, I had previously, you know, jokes about Zero Two being able to go where she pleases with that S ramp pass. That same gate is the thing that was blocked, like is the one that leads to the city. That's what she used to get through with Hero and back in episode four. Mm-hmm. And free fair, matter of fact. So that's what that was stopping all the time, was stopping the kids from going to the city. So, okay, fair enough. Now I get why that's there. That's one plot hole gone. Uh, doesn't explain why she saw Nest Rank pass if they didn't want us to go anywhere, but... Well, she is a former nine. Whatever that means. <laughs> I... This this shit is fucking exhausting. <laughs> they honestly. just looked. Look, here's another thing. You know what I mean? Here's here's it's it's uh you've brought up Lost a couple of times while we did this, and it does it does feel very Lostian to like to be like throw another mysterious term or object or vision or whatever on top of the pile. Yeah, pretty much. But you know, it's it did, didn't didn't the blonde boy say something like that? Yoda didn't he call her Yoda Nine or something? Something like something like so that. it's a, just another crumb, I guess. Yeah, but whatever. Not like you know, it might have helped if you know Hero maybe stepped in and said, "What's that? I thought your code was zero two. What's nine? He can't talk. It's an official ceremony. He's got <laughs> moving on, moving on. So yes, they head into the city for this ceremony, which is the most lame ceremony ever. <laughs> is literally the group. <laughs> It is just the group in this room as, you know, we've got one of these, you know, fucking lampshade-wearing bastards. <laughs> How did they see out of those? I know, right? They just look like, like, hello, I'm cosplaying as a pencil. <laughs> <laughs> Giant Q-sip. I mean, <laughs> or a lipstick. the flat tides, yeah, and it comes down over their eyes. It's, you know, meant to, like, I suppose, evoke religious garb. But it looks it looks silly, and it's a 
It's a room with no audience. It's just like a closed, like, nine by nine warehouse room. Is there even a window in there? I don't think so. Is there a panel or is it just the one dude walking around? Who who knows? I mean, I will be fair. I'm not going to criticize, you know, this ceremony's purpose or anything like that because it literally just is. We're, you know, throwing them, yeah. you know, we're throwing these kids something just to keep them occupied until we drop them in some deep shit. So it isn't going to be, you know, a full swinging, you know, all the bells and whistles event. It being low key and being kind of phoned in is entirely intentional. They just want to, they want to push their pleasure button as there's a way of, there's an allusion to a future event. So a thing that made me laugh is how both Ichigo and Zorame were both like super duper, duper nervous. (laughs) Just Ichigo, just like scream at like the guys like, you know, who's the leader? Is it you? You've done a good job. And she's like, thank you very much, sir. It wasn't just me, sir. It was everybody, sir. (laughs) (laughs) Sir, yes, sir. Yelling. You know, oh, you you know, you could tell the ceremony's phoned in when they're congratulating her on a job well done. (laughs) Although to be fair, to be fair, Ichigo did actually redeem herself a fair bit with, you know, the previous episode in which she decided that, you know, swimming for a Klaxosaur was just like taking a midnight stroll. It's, so, that's true. okay, I'll credit her for her, you know, return. But at the same time, the fact that he even had to ask who the leader was, like, they don't care. They, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, they, they know about, like, the squad as a amorphous blob, except for Hero and Zero Two. Those are the people yeah. I know because those are the people the Robo Bishops care about. They only care about Hero because of his relationship to Zero Two, and you know what Ichigo, la- you know, was doing that, and Goro like couldn't help but chuckle at her. That was cute. And Zorame, mm-hmm. of course, in his enthusiasm, it does the same thing. Just like you know, they, they, there are admittedly sort of personal responses that the guy, or, or personal statements that the guy has to say. You know, he knows that Zorame cares about. Uh, Papa and stuff, and he's like, "Well, you've done a great thing for Papa." Poor Zorame. I felt this one. This was, I just felt a pang in my heart when he's just so enthusiastic. Yeah, like re- says thank you so much, and like cannot help his compulsion to just reach out his hand to shake his hand, and then the man just looks down at it, looks mm-hmm. at him, and just turns around so dismissively and walks away. Like, oh. Oh, that hurt me right in the heart. And then the next scene is like him looking down at his hand, and uh, yeah, god damn it, fucking cold. And uh, and the show has a nice parallel shot uh, or, or callback to that at the end of the episode. Mm-hmm. I I agree, but um, I ultimately think that it doesn't matter at least in terms of how this episode presents Zarmay's reaction to all of this. Because this is the episode that I've been alluding to and thinking would happen for a while, which is that he was going to learn not necessarily the whole truth, but a certain, you know, amount of it. He was going to get a dose of reality. That was the way his character was positioned from the start, mm-hmm. as the one who was so fervently into the idea of being an adult and respecting the adults, that now he's going to finally meet one of them and, you know, it's going to be underwhelming. But the underwhelming element is how this is all presented as as it happens, at least to me. So there's also a minor callback with Ichigo and Goro. Uh, mm-hmm. where, you know, Goro's like, I'm sorry I shouldn't have told you. And I'm like, why are we even calling back to this? Like, I'm not saying that we shouldn't, but there's other stuff going on this episode. This feels like a bit of a weird insert slip in here. 
oh, they're off with each other, and then that's kind of gone, and it doesn't matter again. I don't know. It just seems like he, an impossible ask on his part. Mm-hmm. You know, he's just sort of like, oh, I mean, I'm sorry that now our interactions are a little awkward because I confess to you, but that was entirely selfish, so just pretend it didn't happen. Pay, pay it no mind. Like, okay, we can just forget about it and things can go back to the way they were. Sure, it's as simple as all that. Okay, that's that's all I needed to hear from you, Goro, is the thumbs up, 10-4, good buddy. And then we could... Re- no, it's not that easy. I mean, I know he's gonna... I mean, I guess he has to say that and be like, look, can we just... We don't have to do anything about what I said, but but still. <laughs> it's- I, I'd, I'd agree with you entirely were it not for the fact the episode then completely doesn't do anything else with that thing happening. It just happens. I, yeah, I well, I think it's, I, I'm sure, well, I can't say this about this show, but I would, <laughs> my, it's my strong belief that they will, um, you know, pick it up again in a future episode. I I hope. I mean, I would have just dropped it entirely from this episode and brought it back later when it would have been relevant, but eh, you know. The next part is probably one of the more underratedly funny parts to me. Mm-hmm. Which is? Well, <laughs> while they're walking back, Zorame, you know, they, they, well, so they, they, yeah, so what you just described happens because they're talking about the energy source on the plantation. And then the group starts to leave. Zorame's like, you know what? Nah, I am in the city. I'm going to get my goddamn money's worth. And so he climbs up on a lift uh, or what he actually doesn't know it's a lift. He gets a, like a closer look at this thing. And then suddenly it becomes a lift and takes him up to a higher balcony mm-hmm. from which he cannot get down. And suddenly a little Zorame is lost in the big city. Zorame's day out from Paramount Pictures coming this Christmas. <laughs> it's home alone too. <laughs> Straight up. <laughs> Yeah, I mean that lift. Like, was that lift designed by the people who did like you know the level design for Doom? Because <laughs> the lift would always you know in that game end up not staying on the floor you're on. They'd be like, oh shit, I have to out of where the fuck's the switch? Although at least you know Doom's levels did allow you to get back down there without killing yourself. Uh, poor Zorame, he ain't got no such option. Shouts, by the way, also to the visual design of the city, because again, it's quite nice, but I also did have a chuckle that they actually brought back the PG Tips giant brewing pots. <laughs> yes, the PG Tips. <laughs> yeah. Post-apocalyptic Earl Grey en masse for everyone. Uh, but that turns out to be where they're processing magma energy, which is still a thing. You know, it's it's, it's the Minoski particle. It's whatever you called it before. It does what it needs to do. Right. You know, it's antimatter. It's whatever. Who cares? Uh, but yes, Zorame is trapped, so he ends up wandering for a bit and somehow ends up lost in this really plain, white-looking area, which I thought was the copied city from Near Automata. <laughs> it just, it's very, very sterile-looking. Yeah, I mean, there's that whole meme going around right now of, you know, retweet if you hear this image, and then as soon as he was walking through there, the copied city theme played, started playing in my mm-hmm. head. I thought, oh shit, is he going to open a door or something and we're going to see behind the curve? We're going to find who the Wizards of Oz in this place is? <laughs> nah. It's just plain, it doesn't matter. Whatever. Maybe it'll be maybe a relevant layer, who cares? But Yeah, I mean, so I understand the thematic reason why the city is so antiseptic and plain and colorless, but I just, I don't know, I feel like I've been running into that a lot lately. Like, when anime, t- television anime in particular, shows 
what's meant to be like a grand city or town uh or just area like it feels like it feels like the reason that it's not populated and and having some kind of life in it is a budgetary thing well, you know what i mean yeah th- there is that but i have a counter thing to say to that later yeah i mean maybe this is just me having watched a lot of a certain kind of show lately but i just feel like i've been seeing a lot of empty cities and not interesting empty it's not like you know there's stuff like loose garbage or rats or you know it's just like totally like clean just a grid layout of buildings or parking spaces or pipes or whatever without mm-hmm. any other interesting elements to it. You know what I mean? It looks like a city plan rather than a city. Mm-hmm. So while I do, I mean, I do think it looks nice. It's just like, I just as a, this is entirely subjective complaint of me wanting to see a city that's, you know, maybe teeming with life. How about that? Or how about maybe not even teeming? How about just, you know, sparsely populated even I could handle. <laughs> yeah. Well, two things to say to that. First off, I'm actually surprised thinking about it that Zorame or, you know, someone didn't think to, you know, write in a a comparison between this and the deserted village that they found in the beach episode. Maybe, you know, Mm. lifelessness and all that and comparison. Well, at least there was stuff. You know what I mean? At least there was, like, books and, you know, remains, old pictures, like, there. Music, noise. It looked lived in, you know, which which has felt more interesting. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Someone should, like, Zorame should have thought, wait a minute, this reminds me of that, but th- this is different. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, for sure. But the other thing I was going to say is, um, Hero says to Zero Two, didn't you describe this city as lifeless once? And she goes, yes. And he goes, what did you mean by that? And she goes, exactly as it sounds, lifeless. And I was there thinking to myself, okay, okay, what if, what if it turns out there just aren't any adults in the city at all? It's just a complete empty space. I was just stroking my beard when she said that, because I thought, huh, wouldn't that be a thing? And in some ways, I kind of wish it was, because, well, there are, as we've alluded to, adults in the city. Very few of them, by the look of it. Are they living, though, Shadon? Are they living? Hmm. Well, one of them Hmm. is. I mean, he's having the fucking time of his life. (laughs) But is that... No, I think I'm asking a philosophical... I, I I know, uh, yes. Uh, well, very obviously, no. Uh, however, there's a problem with this. Uh, and this is, again, me straining against the fact that I really want to speak about this when we get to it. But I don't think the episode truly explores this notion, or at least not even oh, through Zoramay's oh, own goodness. eyes. No, I mean, it's given such a cursory treatment. Like, I mean, ho- yeah. hopefully we'll come back to these concepts. But, I mean, there's no guarantee with no. the way things are going in the show. But, like... You you would hope that this was sort of a first flyover of some stuff that we'll come back to. Yeah, uh, that's that was my hope as well. So anyway, uh, Zorame spots a person down in the street level, and he's like, "Hello, hi, what do I do?" Like, and the person looks and was like, "What the fuck's going on?" I just love that they they sort of pause and stride to where like you know that they've heard him, but then they just mm-hmm. like speedily walk <laughs> walk away like. They don't want anything to do with that. <laughs> yeah, ex- exactly. So uh, Zorame decides he's going to try and climb down this incredibly deep slope with pipes around it in order to reach this person. And, well, he slips, falls, bangs his head, and is knocked out. 
Zarame wakes up in the apartment and there's an adult there looking after him. You know, someone with the giant lampshade on their head, the Logan's Run, you know, era of fashion design for the dystopian you. I mean, it really does feel like it has that kind of sensibility about it, which I actually find really charming. Like, it's got that that kind of sincere, uh, but not self-aware, you know, it's the future and they've got to have silly fashion things mm-hmm. going on. But I like that. I'm totally okay with that. And there's actually, as we'll learn shortly, a reasonably good idea behind why they wear such silly hats. So, this woman who's picked Zarme up out of, the, you know, nowhere is like, okay, are you, you know, I tried to, you know, patch up as best I could, but there aren't any settings for kids on the medical bay that I've got. And my immediate thought of that was, wow, the fuckers from Prometheus made this thing as well. <laughs> but I messed with it and put it on the doggy settings. And it worked. How appropriate for Zarme. <laughs> you know, they had, the, they had the doggy setting and there we go. That's all right. So yes, uh, however, uh, this lady, um, after discussing with Zarme for a moment, then takes off her well, Wait and wait, wait a minute, okay. I just said something. Uh, it can't be dogs. What What pets? It, it doesn't make any sense for the society that they lay out to have pets. You know what I mean? Uh, pass. Maybe, maybe that was a thing they had, but they don't have pets anymore, but the thing can still have a pet setting on it. But why would they not program it out? Because they're so, like, you know, all about uh, sterilization and cleanliness. It seems like a pet would be the last thing you want to introduce into that setup. Pass. <laughs> I, I've, I've, got, I've got nothing. You, you, you've, you've got me there, Doc. I, I have nothing. Anyway, first draft, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> you've heard it all before. But this lady takes off her hat. And I can't believe it, but on a rewatch, I realized... Because the first time I saw it, I was like, "Why? Why does her design remind? Who does her design remind me of?" It's bugging me so much. Because this lady is old and she has white hair, um, but she's also really thin. Obachan. No, uh, she is Mrs. Scythemaster. Oh my god! <laughs> Am I wrong? <laughs> she looks like Mrs. Scythemaster. No. Fuck me. No. <laughs> Mrs. Helmer. <laughs> Oh, no! Fuck. How dare you? I am so sorry, oh. but that's literally what came to mind. Oh my god! Well, that means that Scythe Master is also here because we find out that this lady uh, does indeed have a partner. Panino tweeted that she looks like uh, Kokoro, which she really does. Hmm. hmm. There's a possible theory brewing there. Clones. Yes. <laughs> Send in the clones. Oh, fuck, it really is turning out more like Star Wars as it goes along. Shit, we've got the fucking council of useless people, and now I've got clones up in the mix. Cut to Hero saying, like, your skin is not like the sand. Go- no, Go- Goro, Goro's, <laughs> Goro's there yelling at Hero. No, Hero, I have the high ground! And Hero's like, you underestimate my power! Nah! We just need some horribly like racist stereotypes to play the Trade Federation. We'll be alright. I've actually just realized I'm fairly certain the hats that these people wear do look a little bit like the ones the guys for the Trade Federation wear. Fuck. <laughs> oh, it gets worse! Right, let's let's dig ourselves out of this rabbit hole okay. that's actually talking instead about what this is. So, okay. This is the pivotal moment that Zarame's worldview should change. 
because this is him meeting an adult in the city for the first time. Now, he has met adults before, of course. There is Nana, for example. Uh, there's Crew Cut Guy, whose name we never get. I wonder if Nana is an adult or if she's a teenager. Like, a, I mean, maybe like a young adult. Like, a, you know, I mean, like on the borderline, maybe. Early 20s, late t- 10s. Bad Cop Son really does seem like an adult. Which, And by the way, like seeing him in his little hat, hilarious. It made me laugh out loud. <laughs> just like looking like he just straight does not want to be at the ceremony. <laughs> I don't. Well, to be fair, it is a faux did event, so I don't blame him. He probably had better things to be doing. That was you know, fantastic. He probably he wanted to catch on his Netflix. So you know, he's like, I've got a fucking grand blue event. I gotta, I've got I gotta be on my phone. Shit, <laughs> I've got to babysit these motherfuckers. So. This is the time in which Zorame should now learn what it actually is to be an adult in this world. Because he's had this preconception that any audience member, you and I, whoever, should have easily thought, no, he's, he's going to be disappointed. It's not going to be what he thinks it is. I mean, yeah. we don't even really know what he thinks it is. It's just kind of this nebulous good thing. It's an undefined concept. Well, it's like, I, I would say it is very much like a childhood dream. Yes. You know what I mean? Like a kid who wants to be an astronaut or something like that. Like it just, there's not a lot of justification there. It just seems amazing. And he's latched onto it from an early age as a thing that he hopes for and dreams for. Mm -hmm. And I think when he was dreaming early on at the beginning of the episode, the images, of course, I think are leftovers from maybe when he was really born. But mm-hmm. I believe what he's dreaming about is a sort of rebirth into adulthood that he wants. He wants it to be this incredible new beginning for him. Mm. And uh, yeah, he's but but he learns that being an adult is not all it's cracked up to be. Who would have thought? <laughs> Fucking hell. No way. Not possible. I... Jesus Christ, what next? Zorbe's going to learn what taxes are? <laughs> Holy shit. Don't imagine what he's like doing his fucking IRS returns. <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's time to talk about mortgages. <laughs> oh, some life over 50 plan. Fucking hell. Um, <laughs> Term life insurance. <laughs> so this should be the time in which his worldview is changed and challenged. And there are certainly elements of this that communicates the audience just for visuals that tell you that something's really off here. For a start, this woman, uh, the suit she wears has some sort of, like, device over her chest, which looks like a heart. Yeah, yeah. So is that, like, life support keeping her, you know, if you took that away, would she die? Because throughout this conversation she has with Zorabe, she does get tired very easily. And to be fair, that's true of a lot of old people. So that's not necessarily something unique here to, you know, the world, but rather it's just that she is super fucking old. Yeah, and she doesn't talk to anyone ever it would seem yeah so she serves Zorame some sweets and some tea and he's like these are delicious they're amazing and and she's like um you know i've kind of don't care about taste anymore as long as my body gets what it needs she's old you know she's probably lived i mean I, if i had to spitball i would say that she's got that device because she's lived past the natural life that you would get like she's got to be at least 90 if not older than that i'd say oh she's doing fairly well for that age but um she's you know said i don't care about taste anymore and I also thought to myself, well, what, was she, did she smoke 60 a day? Is that why? She's lost a sense of taste and smell. 
Oh god, it's like like a fucking uh, old lady from Uncharted Four. Let me give you some exposition, <laughs> exposition kits. Uh, well, I mean, it's they clearly don't value uh, lived experience, you know, as nope. as much. It's all about like getting existing, like yeah, like just like pu- pushing and pulling levers in your body to mess with the chemical balance, and yeah, just totally like all about like get what you need. Yeah. The lady and Zorame then start discussing the idea of partners, and she does in turn have a partner of her own. She discusses some of the ancient history or the ancient customs of people hooking up, and this is where the show really starts to scrape against some regressive gender politics annoyingly, although this is mm. just by omission rather than outright declaration, but mm-hmm. you know, she says men and women you know, used to form special pairs, and I was just like, Really? Why is why is this show that's set so far in the future like written as if it was though it was medieval times? <laughs> the fifties, I'm sorry, the future as projected from the 1950s, like a Looney Tunes cartoon, like the House of the Future. <laughs> I know the fashion actually could really be from the sixties, to be quite honest. So it wouldn't surprise me if it was kind of a cyclic trend, but um. That annoyed me mildly, but it didn't annoy me greatly because it wasn't a flat-out statement like, or rather, you know, an airbrushing out of, you know, non-hetero genders or non-hetero sex. You, you get my point. Yeah. Um, and she was framing it around the idea of heterosexes in terms of having kids. Um, there was even some very brief insert yeah. shots of, you know, hands being, you know, sex, basically. Well, that's, like, what does she give, like, just a couple of reasons why partners... You know, the old custom of being partners, it's like convenience or something like that, and also procreation. Yeah. And then she talked about how terrible it was. (laughs) That was was a weird turn. I was, I mean, not weird, but like it was unexpected at the time. Like, I just wasn't sure what they were going to do with this scene in this moment. But, um, but yeah, she says like, man, it really sucked back then. People had to rely on others for everything. Now, mm-hmm. we just lay in the experience machine. Yep. So she says, okay, I'll introduce you to my partner, which is Scythe Master Mark too, because he really does have a creepy fucking smile. You know who I think, you know who I think, I think it's the original Zorome was in that, in that, uh, oh. in that fucking thing. <laughs> that... <laughs> I, I would agree, but I'm not so sure, given that they've said before that this is like a special group. I, mm. well, it's a special a special iteration. Perhaps, perhaps all the Squad Thirteens. Well, no, we've seen pictures of old Squad Thirteens, but but I guess to be fair, like if you know, uh, if you're just diddling around with jeans, like you could make the kids have you know different hair color, different eye color, maybe different height. You know what I mean? But like, it's still. Hans? Yeah, still largely the same. <laughs> uh, so I don't know. I mean, I'm not ruling it out altogether. But but yeah, no, that was a fun theory I had. That scene was also unsettling because yeah. he began to smile wider and wider. It made me think of when... See, you've not seen Serial Experiments, Lane, but when uh, the main character, Lane, when her father is talking about how amazing the internet is and he's like just hooking up like four computer monitors together and he's just surfing the web talking to lane while looking at the screen he just smiles and just gets bigger and bigger and just 
how creepy that was reminded me of of that's what I thought of when I saw this guy's grin widening and widening and Zorame had to look away. <laughs> yeah. I, I was reminded actually of um Ghost in the Shell standalone complex, specifically the uh, Laughing Man arc where Tozer mm-hmm. goes undercover in the, you know, rehab sensor for the kids who have closed cyber brains. Right. And you have one bit where the lady's like taking um Togusa past this kid and she's saying like we're giving them ideal conditions you know for their mental faculties and all that and the kid's just having a nosebleed and he's, uh, he's gawping he's like, mm-hmm. i was like oh okay mm. um, that's yeah <laughs> like so obviously uh this lady does not speak to a partner he's just permanently in the you know the oculus rift 9000 you know that's what <laughs> i mean your VR setup is only going to get bigger, not smaller. So start investing <laughs> in those bigger apartments. You're going to need it for the time this sucker oh, comes out. And maybe, or I, I, we don't really know. I mean, maybe he does get out. Like maybe they just swap turns in it, or, or you know, he's in there for a little while and then she's in a different. Like who knows? But but yes, he spends he's spending a, a decent chunk of time having his pleasure center stimulated in there. Yeah. God, now I'm now I'm starting to think of Shelter again. And I'm thinking, man, can I can I just watch Shelter again instead for the past <laughs> last five minutes of this episode? That'd be great. I'd be happy with that. I like Shelter, man. Those were times. But anyway, um, so the lady gets tired, uh, takes a you know quick nap, and they start discussing about talking to partners. The lady in question has not spoken to her partner in a very long time because obviously he's too busy, you know, playing VR chess or whatever he's doing in there, and. Zorame complains that Miku is like, you know, the noisiest, most boisterous, never shuts up girl in the group and he had to be partnered with her. But also but also he kinda likes her because she looks cute when she's not talking and sometimes when they're fighting they link up well and he wants to protect her and he's the only one who feels like has an understanding of her that no one else can look out for her the way he does. Wait a minute, maybe that's why Two people pile up the He's just like having this oh, realization. To, oh. you know. This was the line. This was the line that pushed me to the edge of just mm. abandoning the mm-hmm. show entirely. The men and women bit. However heavily coded the whole piloting the Franks thing is in heterosex, nothing's being produced as a result of it beyond simply piloting the robot. There's no baby, whatever the fuck that means. You know, that's like, fucking hell, that sounds like some Hideo Kojima shit, but... <laughs> Yeah, who'd have thought Franks is the prelude to Death Stranding? <laughs> Another thing of little substance. <laughs> when does Norman Reedus show up in Darling in the Franks? That's what I want to know. He's under the ro- he and uh, Mads Mikkelsen are gonna be under the Robo Bishop masks. Yeah, I, I would be, I would find that amusing. But here's the thing, right? Nothing is being produced or conceived as a result of this piloting thing. It's just a ritualistic thing that's been so thinly explained as to be non-existent. It is. It's just part of the show's kitsch, I suppose, really. It's it's a thing that's there because it is, because someone thought it would be cool to have it rather than it having any diegetic sense or meaning, at least as far as we've been presented so far. So Zorame asks the question, is that why, you know, when men and women pile up the Franks or need to pile up the Franks, is they have this special thing going where they can rely on each other and be close to each other in this way? Because only men and women can feel that about each other. Yep. Don't you know? Nope. Now, I won't complain about Zorame asking this question because sure. he's he's in universe ignorant of pretty much everything. He's been led he's led a shell of life, he's been fed all the information that APAR, the government, wants him to know. 
So that's fine. No, really, yeah, I know. How stupid does that fucking sound? A piece of excrement, ape. This show. <laughs> no, I'm going. I'm really going to harm it when I shouldn't be. But my point is, like, okay, Zorame asking that question, I'm not against. But I was, I had to pause when he said that because I literally thought the lady was going to go back and say yes, and if she had done, I would have shut the episode off and never looked back. Mm. Because we've already had enough in this show that's been regressive. The regressive gender politics, Mm -hmm. you know, the heteronormativity and all that. And if it just flats out whitewashed and erased the existence of, you know, LGBTQ plus people and experiences entirely by saying that, you know, those people can't, sorry, LGBTQ plus people can't have that kind of relationship that would enable this kind of thing. And it's strictly a hetero thing. In other words, devaluing them. Uh, I don't even know what I could possibly say to that for my part like i that wouldn't be on its own in the middle of the show like a damning thing for me but what i would want is to borrow a term from you <laughs> the counter narrative right i would want like some kind of punch back at that uh some kind of like the show uh showing that 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 philosophy that kind of way of boxing the world in is is wrong and it kind of tearing apart. I'm not sure I have a lot of faith in the show to do that. I, no. it's, I don't even know that the show, you know, if that happened, if they would be intentionally setting it up. You know what I mean? It just feels like in, in some weird ways that they are blind to these, to, to their own kind of uh, political statements, right? And social, but I say political, I just mean, you know, I don't mean like, policy and politics i just mean like the the socio-political kind of ramifications of their statements yep thankfully the question does not get answered um i suppose in reality maybe i would have been better off if it had been answered in the negatory but i I think that as you've said i think that they're blind in their hubris of like writing about this stuff as to the implications now people might read it it's not doesn't let them off the hook by the way no no but then again, I'm not going to hold it against the show too much at the moment because it was just a question that Zara may rightfully pose because he doesn't know. I mean, Christ, we've had no fucking drip-fed information about why the Franks are piloted as a you know man-woman couple in the doggy position. <laughs> Even just saying out loud just makes it sound so stupid that it demands an explanation of some description as to it why do. it is the way it is. But we've still not got it. So at this point, I've kind of given up expecting it to come around. It... Anyway, anyway, we'll leave that aside. So, Zarame gets kind of emotional because he says, you know, I think this is the first time I've really met you, but you seem very familiar to me somehow. He's actually crying. Yeah, he doesn't realize it, but he's he's crying, yeah. Yeah, he doesn't quite know why he feels the way he does. I really enjoyed um, kind of, this is a, a small thing, but uh, when he wiped the tear away, it left some like redness around his eyes. Yeah, and uh, I really enjoyed that touch. That is not a thing that I feel like you know is done uh, a lot or has been done. I I have no idea if this is like a new technique they're doing or an evolution of a, a previously existing one. But so often, like you see those sort of um, those sort of flourishes are are for like the ladies' faces when they're blushing. Yeah, and it was cool you know, to see like a guy crying and then like have redness around his eyes. It's just not a thing that I have any memory of seeing in other shows like that, that technique applied that way. So it was nice. I liked it. No, exactly. I mean, like when you do cry, you do have red eyes, you know, you could 
very bloodshot. So it's nice that they added that in. And Zarbe starts saying, like, you know, okay, no, I'm going to kill all the Klaxosaurs. I'm going to defend the plantation, defend people yeah. like you. He's pumped up. He's fired up. And he says, one day I'll get to, you know, become and, come and live here, and then you'll be my fam. Well, and then, for, I, do you forget, the reason he's saying that, right, is because, like you were saying before I uh, cut you off, you know, he he felt close to her because he felt like someone had been pr- protecting him. Like, it, it was her presence kind of felt familiar and it felt like it made him feel like something from his childhood past, like that there that there was a person, either her or someone like her, again, very familiar presence that was watching over him uh, mm-hmm. ever since he was very young. And then you have the parallel that I spoke about earlier when she he's not really looking at her, but as he's talking about someone nurturing him and, and watching out for him, she's reaching her hand out for his shoulder but she gets to a point where like he doesn't see her and he's not of course returning her her uh touch or anything like that not moving toward her and she kind of thinks better of herself and pulls back and i thought that mm-hmm. was very similar to zorame uh at the ceremony and she pulls back and says well you're actually mistaken you're the ones protecting us and I think <laughs> at first I thought she was saying, you're mistaken. No one has been watching out for you. Like no one has your best interest at heart, which might also be true. But yeah, she was saying, actually, it's you that are protecting us. And then that's when he, you know, gets all fired up, like you were saying. Yep, exactly. And so he says, you know, maybe when I come here, you could be my fa- my fam, my fam. My bro. fam. <laughs> yeah. No, he of course, he of course beats family. Because he doesn't know, like he's never had parents. Yeah. Then he thinks he he takes it back, though, right? He walks it back. Yeah, he does. I mean, in some ways, like I think that a lot of what's been happening with the kids in the past couple of episodes, Goro, of course, had his naked feelings for Ichigo, which he's now got out in the open to no effect. But that's fine. It doesn't need to be that you know meaningful as of yet. Or well, not, not meaningful. Sorry, it doesn't need to actually lead into something else. It's just it's development for him. But it's. His feelings he didn't have words for coming out. And this is Zarame's own version of that. It's just a familial thing rather than a romantic one. So, Zarame's all fired up, as we say, you know, to go out and kill him some Klaxosaurs. It's going to, you know, go all monsters to the world. I was going to murder the fucking lot of them. Not a Klaxosaur left in the land because he wants to defend this person. And after that's done, he can go into the city, become an adult, and become friends with this lady. And she's like, oh, you sweet, silly, innocent thing. Mm. Oh, you and your ideas. Uh, that's not going to happen. Yeah. It isn't. Out of the question, I think she says. Why? Well, she tells him why, but it get, but we don't hear that because it cuts away from it as mm-hmm. she says it. And I'm like, oh, you fuckers. Copying out of that. <laughs> like, not that it matters, though, in my opinion, because we're fairly close to the end now where I get to lay into this episode properly. So... Eventually, you know, people come and pick Zarme up. They make sure, you know, he's not got any germs or, lo- or you know, the lurgy on him. It's a really interesting, interesting discussion right here, I think, because you, you seem to have, you have the two two guys that are kind of scanning him. One of them is like, you know, you infected children. You use the word infected. You should not be here, right? And we saw the lady, you know, Grandma Kokoro, spraying down her house with disinfectant and 
you know, and this guy calls him infected, right? And it's like, what you you should not be here. Uh, and then his partner is like, now, now, calm down. Like, these kids are victims. They are caught up in all this, and they don't know what's going on. I feel sorry for them. They're pitiful. Mm-hmm. And that is a really interesting look, I guess, into... <sighs> Yeah, I mean, you clearly have citizens that are on different sides of an issue here. Perhaps not to the degree that they're going to oppose Papa, but there's at least like a diversity of thought happening. Not everyone, everyone is not like a sort of parroting obedient automata. Does that mean that we get like late night talk shows on discussing this <laughs> issue? <laughs> Kids, infected or likable little scabs, you decide on the call in here. <laughs> oh my god. Now cut to the in-house band. Play us out to the commercial. Jesus. Uh, so yes, uh, that's pretty much it. Zorame is escoy back. He's not like in any real trouble. He, I'm actually genuinely surprised that there was no real severe consequences. But again, you, we can always make that same excuse, which is, it's all part of the plan. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that lift yeah. moved on its own, but didn't then come back down. So you can read into that, that maybe that was the reason why. I mean, there was a grand... Uh, no, you know what? I'm not going to say it. Moving on. <laughs> so yeah. So yes, uh, back in the Magic Meat Room. Uh, small note, by the way, but Meat Through is still outside of the circle. Again, I don't know if that means anything mm. anymore or not. I'm, like... It's just a minor thing. I've just spied literally as I'm looking at this frame as they come back in. Uh, Miku's all like, that that little shit. I, I'm going to make him clean the bath for a week, she says as she points mm-hmm. at the sky. Zorame's in a monologue starts up again where he's saying, like, we're not pitiful. Yeah. He reveals that he doesn't have the dream anymore that he had at the start. Uh, for such an important dream, it has to be stated. I am a bit surprised this was the first time it was mentioned. Like, it was only relevant in this episode when it was you know, relevant as opposed to be properly set up or established. Well, you know, well, this is the first time we've had a Zorame point of view episode, and that's the only time you're going to get something like that when his sort of the his backstory episode. So I, I don't think that's a big deal. I, su- I suppose that's true, actually. I mean, it is a very personal thing. That it's not like something outward um, that can easily be expressed. So I don't know. Uh, you know, once he forgets about everything, which he says, like, he thought and thought about what she said, and then he stop thinking about it and then he forgot about it and then he stopped having the dream in in that order uh-huh. it seems pretty much okay so let's talk about this in the monologue so zorame says that you know he eventually stopped thinking about this woman and forgotten about and has forgotten about her <clears throat> um, but he doesn't have the dream anymore so i had a really big problem with this the first thing I have to ask is, and this is just more of a general question, is when is he having this in a monologue? Is he having it right as he's cleaning the bath? And, you know, spy with Miku yeah, right. the day after? Right. Uh, clearly not. Clearly not. When in the show's chronology is this? Is this when the show concludes? Is this... I... That is an excellent question. I... You've... No fucking idea. <laughs> Next episode, Zorme dies. <laughs> and then you're just like, really thrown off. <laughs> I know, I know. Like, when was he talking, you know? Oh, talking from beyond the grave to us, apparently. <laughs> yeah. There are two ways that I, I can view this. One, Zorame's, um monologue is happening after the show's conclusion. It, so, you know, there's a definitive timeline in which this was a thing and he's recounting it. And now it's over. And it doesn't matter because it's long since got past that point that it was relevant. Mm-hmm. And 
If that is the case, then the events of this episode have been rendered utterly moot. Because the only takeaway we have from this is that Zora Maeve didn't have the dream anymore. But the thing about Zora Maeve's character so far is his reverence for adults. It's not been about him having familial issues or longings for, you know, a parental figure. It's been veneration of the idea of adulthood, which is a different thing. So why does he why does he want to be an adult, right? Like what what spurred him to idolize adults, want to be an adult, you know, besides something like having access to the city when you didn't he have access? He treats it like, like a riot passage. It's, uh, it's... Right, and the only, you know, he doesn't really interact with adults. So I think, again, I, I really do believe this was an, something formed in his early childhood, in which case, like, the interactions with adults he would have had are the nurturing ones from the sort of parental figures, the adults that were taking care of them while they were in the garden, so to speak. And mm-hmm. I think, so So if that's the case, I don't think it's um, it's just too far-fetched to tie his kind of dream to be an adult with a longing to reconnect uh, with those parental figures. No, that's exactly that's exactly my point. My feeling is is that you know his everything we've seen about him so far is I want to be an adult. I want to grow up. It's a rite of passage. It's a status symbol. It's a source of pride to be an adult. And you could then tie that into other things if you wanted to. Although the show doesn't want to, like you know, relationships, sex, etc. You know, people treat sex when they're young as like a rite of passage. Like you know, you got to lose it. You got to. Get rid of your virginity, bro. You, you, you gotta have rid. <laughs> right. it, it's it's a bad thing, whatever the fuck that means. But that's that's the kind of narratives kids spin for themselves. Basically, it's a long-standing thing as part of toxic, you know, upbringing. Yeah, I was gonna say, so but by kids you mean douchebag boys. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty much. See, I so, don't. Okay. I didn't necessarily pick up that his sort of fascination with adulthood was a status symbol thing. Like, I don't think that that was necessarily kind of part of the concept as the show was presenting it. I didn't really, I remember not really knowing why he cared so much and wanting to, wanting to understand. So, but maybe, maybe that is something that I missed. I don't know. Well, he has been very competitive and like jumping ahead and wanting to prove himself. Yeah, no, that's fair. That makes sense. I don't, I, I think that's a part of it. Yeah. Along with just his general competitive nature. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's that. But the, as I say, like this whole discussion with the lady, um, it's like it seems to be more sense around like a sudden motherly issue or longing for mother, a motherly touch or a motherly relationship, which yeah. feels a and, bit left left field to me. And she, well, she has a moment where she wants to reciprocate, you know, as she mm-hmm. reaches out for him, and which one of the group has discovered the book about being motherly and we said this uh, yeah. person this person looks a lot like this older lady a younger version of her yeah well that could be that could very well be a thing then i suppose maybe but the only thing i'd have to ask then is how does that relate to the characters and this is the big bugbear i've got that i'm going to hit now at this point so zora may spent a lot of time discussing in this episode with the lady about how he deals with Miku and how he, you know, he's constantly yelling and fighting and scrapping with her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes partners just... I mean, the, the episode's opening is that. Like, you know, they he tries, she tries to kill him, like, you know. And that's their relationship. But 
Colour me, make, this is me again, armchair doing shit, and I apologise, social studies folks, but I just feel this would have been so much more satisfying. How would it have, great would it have been if Zoramay just literally sat down in that fucking meeting room with Miku for five minutes and just discussed his findings with her and talked about, like, actually meant something to him? Because the blouse, like, you know, I don't give, I don't care really, it's just no big deal way he treats this in a monologue, like the way he comes across in it. It felt very deflating to me. This should have hmm. been the big moment for him where being an adult was, you know, a loss for him. It was something that no longer necessarily had the sh- shine that it had before. I mean, he even says when, you know, the lady says, like, I don't care about the taste of things anymore. He says after seeing, like, you know, the machine that her partner's in, like, I right. prefer to experience it the other way. I'm thinking, oh, okay, here we go. He's he's realizing now. He's learning that this is not all it's cracked to be. And they don't follow that up. Well, let me ask you. Does he strike you as a particularly intimate type? This could have been the time for him to prove he could have been that. People can be multidimensional. I just don't think that he is as a as a kid. And, and especially, yeah, I just don't know who he's... I know he has strong feelings for Miku, but she's not exactly... Uh, I don't know if she would have handled that revelation in the most mature way either. So I just, I don't know if he I... feels comfortable being... I don't. He doesn't strike me as a character that, unlike Hiro or Goro or Ichigo that would feel comfortable being vulnerable around someone else. I I suppose, but at the same time, like if they wanted to have him change as a person, as this revelation should have done to him, maybe that could have promoted that in him. I think it, I think there was a change, but I think it's different than, well, well, we can, he's not dreaming the dream anymore that we only learned about in this episode. Great. Yeah. Well, so, so this is, I think, so a question you asked earlier, right? Was what does it mean to be an adult? And this is what Zorame is reaching for as well. Like when he wants to be an adult, but you know he's got a vague idea of it. He, I think, what he's wanting to know more about adults to understand what it means to be an adult, and the process that he's gone through of mourning, of of being crushed, and then crying, which is, I think, him mourning his lost childhood dream you know he's seen this is really what it is what the whole thing that i was um pining after and and desiring to be with my whole self is not something that i want anymore when i see it in the the reality of it it's not something i desire and and he's mourning that lost dream and he doesn't dream it anymore because he's now no longer no longer uh, interested in the dreams he had as a child. He doesn't want the same things for himself that he wanted as a child. The childlike fantasies and aspirations are gone. And ironically, this is part of what it means to become an adult, is to mature in this way. And it, it kind of is a little bit of a loss of innocence for him. I think he's changed because he's not having that dream anymore. And I th- I was very surprised that he kind of continued on as his, like, combative, feisty, bouncy self. In some ways, I, w- I was expecting him to be far more downcast and affected. This is what I was thinking, yeah. But but it in, in other ways, like, it's kind of refreshing in a way because... I don't know if I would be up for 
a very what I think would be kind of rote like arc of Zorame depression. Like not even necessarily depression. Like it could have it didn't need to be like you know him on a downer. It's more like just. I'm hanging on to this idea so much because of the fact that he laid out certain things like the fact that, you know, Zorame talks to Mika but only ever seems to row with her, and yet the lady and the guy never talk at all. Like, <laughs> they, they brought up as a couple of points. Like, come yeah, on, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, I'm not saying that Zorame would need to lose his, you know, his nature or his character. Well, them them fighting, I think, is that. Like, them getting in an argument. You know what I mean? Over the bathroom cleaning when she jumps in there and he's like, why don't you shut up? And she's like, why don't you shut up? And they're like going back and forth, like that, like kinetic, like interpersonal kind of collision, like the meshing of personalities is like, that's his way of bonding with her. Yes, but you can't build an entire relationship on that. Sometimes you do need to, you know, dial back a little bit and open up a little bit. I I don't know. I, I just think for me that this whole reveal of who an adult is, it was disappointing more for me as an audience member than it was for Zorame because it didn't <laughs> feel to me like it stuck or had a major impact on who he was. I know I know what you're saying though. I think yeah, yeah, I think it could it could have. I'm not asking for melodrama. Yeah, yeah, no, I know what you mean. And like so I wouldn't have wanted that, but I do I think your point is very valid and I think it goes back to something we said to did we say this last week that each of the it feels like the episode director and writer team is almost like building fences to protect their episode from future tie-ins you know like nope like don't let anyone don't let anything connect don't don't let the this episode be caught in the chain of possibly bad episodes because it needs to stand alone and be good by itself it feels like that that's that has to be the only reason why he's not more affected. I mean, I would want the scene that we got plus another scene. Like, I like him fighting with Miku, but I also would like, I don't know, Hero to look up through the window and see him, like, kind of contemplative and thinking yeah. and down. You know what I mean? Like, I want that too. Yeah. Or maybe even if he didn't have a full thrashing out of his findings with Miku, maybe if she just simply asked and they just talk to each other in a normal voice for just five seconds to give their relationship some more dimension. Right, at the end of their fight, like, maybe they're, like, fighting with Mop and Broom, and then, like, uncharacteristically, in the middle of it, he just, like, looks at her, and then she looks at him, and he smiles. And, like, yeah, just a little moment like that. Just, or maybe even just having the conversation, because this is a big thing for him, but he doesn't talk about it to her, he doesn't talk about it with anyone else, and by his own account, by the very fucking monologue he gives, he forgets about it and stops thinking about it. And that's it. Like, it didn't matter. I don't even know if he understood, like, yeah, I mean, I, I know what you mean, but it's such a huge thing, like, and Zorame is the kind of person he is. I mean, I don't even know if he really understands what he's feeling. Well, that's again why I would have liked to have seen him talk this out. <laughs> but I'm saying that I just don't think that's Zorame. No, but not as presented, but I'm just saying that maybe this could have been the spark for him. So again, they hinted about it, like, you know, I don't talk to my partner at all. And maybe he could have reflected on that and just, you know, maybe have something like me say, like, this is unusual. But he just goes, look, just let me fucking speak for five minutes. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. Like, 
I just want more dimensions to this. And for this, this is the big thing that I have been predicting for his character for so long, ever since his, you know, whole adult fixation became a thing. Mm-hmm. He, I made the, I made the comparison to being the whacker of this show, where he's going to have his worldview torn down. He's got to rebuild it. Maybe mm-hmm. come up with his own definition of what it means to be an adult. Maybe reject the idea that he has seen of, you know, his life ending up being caught in the fucking Oculus Rift. <laughs> you know, maybe he wants to build something better for himself than that. Maybe define his own life from here on out. Well, it's hard. But, but, it's hard, though, for a kid to. I mean, this is such a huge thing. Like a really fundamental part of who he is, he's having to grapple with and change. I mean, who knows at this at the day after it happened if he's even accepted what he's seen or struggling with like whether or not he wants to like continue fighting or like whether or not he um does want to change his life at all i mean it's like to 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 turn the ship is um i don't know like yeah i i i just i understand i guess him not like being really really different so quickly not not at all because he actually says i forgot about it i stopped thinking about it yeah but he was thinking well like you said like it's um we don't know how far in the future that is. Well, if that's the case, that he, you know, it's not after the show's conclusion when everything settles down and, you know, and all that, then it's premature for him to be even saying that. So why is it in there if only to either mis- to just to mislead us in one way or another as the audience? That's true. That's true. I mean, it, it, it is in there to talk about how he doesn't dream the dream anymore. I feel like that's the main takeaway. So, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah, I don't know. It's certainly I, I don't think either of us got everything we would want from that finale. That's for no. sure. I mean I mean I just go back to the previous one where Goro very much laid out his, you know, his own mindset, the things that led to being the way he was, and then, you know, he's changed and grown as a person. And I'm not expecting Zorame to go through the same like shift, but when you said about turning the ship there, I mean doesn't need to you know completely u-turn or do 90 degrees at the end but maybe you can at least start thinking about it and considering it yeah exactly exactly but the fact that he so you know nonchalantly says oh, i forgot about it whatever it god yeah I, i'm i'm really really hung up on that i mean franks has already pulled this shit before where zero two said in the boys x girls episode man this is lame and i'm like this show really needs to stop shooting itself in the foot by having characters say something that suggests <laughs> it undermines its own premise. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, again, like I, I was telling you this off, off mic. Um, I don't think we necessarily have to believe him entirely. Like maybe, uh, maybe this is sort of his thought at a point in time and we'll see something different, but who, I mean, it's, I don't know. It's, it's very much speculation and it's like, <laughs> He's accomplished, like, it's like you can read that final line a couple different ways, and I feel like no matter how you kind of read it and apply it, it still kind of comes up lacking regarding the episode and the show as a whole. So, yeah, like I said, I think, I just think no matter, like, if you liked it or didn't like it or whatever, like, I I feel like you just didn't get what you wanted out of the, (laughs) the end of this episode. I'm looking for something of substance to get onto here. And I don't know. I mean, I've already been burned by Franks before. 
and it feels like it's continuing to burn me a little bit. <laughs> just the flesh is is black, <laughs> just burning. To move away from this anyway, because I think I've said all I really want to say on this particular point. But we forgot to mention this episode is episode's title is called "The City of Eternity." Oh yes. So okay, couple of wild theories here. So you did say, for example, that um, Mrs. Scythemaster actually looks like Kokoro, mm-hmm. or rather a much older version of Kokoro. I'm going to throw you a bone out here, or rather, well, not bone rather, but a theory, another wild speculation. What if, what if this world had some altered carbon shit going on, but rather that the adults, the older people, basically mind wipe the kids when they reach a certain age and then drop their person, their consciousness in? Yeah, sure. City of Eternity, sure. living forever. These these people are super fucking old. And, if, you know, none of the kids become adults, despite whatever Zorame's protestation might be. The hints have been clear. The shitty Michael Bay movie, The Island. <laughs> Where the clones <laughs> are just organ farms. I I don't know. But the problem is, that, like, I've been thinking back on all the things I've speculated about, and I just think to myself, okay, if that turns out to be true, I'd, I'd put my thumb, I'd, you know, give two thumbs up and I'd go, great, now what? Where's the fees out of basic cohesion with this? Like, what's the. Yeah! <laughs> what does it have to do with all the sex? <laughs> I mean, when we get to the grand crevasse or whatever, like, and we get the big reveal then, I just feel like I'm gonna go, cool! <laughs> Great! Yeah, man. God, what a lack of. I liked some things about this episode individually, but man, yeah, just the last, like, five episodes I've have been incredibly different from each other and i felt very little cohesion between six seven eight nine ten like very very little about the only connective tissue there is is zero two but that's so background so treated so minorly she has moved to the background unfortunately yeah I, i actually don't mind that in principle because yeah in some ways i think it could be fair to criticize franks for giving too much screen time to her not lately well, okay, that's true. It's kind of swung too far in the opposite direction. But I've also said before that you could probably get away with, you know, merging certain characters together or cutting them entirely. Mm-hmm. I mean, fucking Fatoshi. <laughs> I, I, he's a likable enough guy, but his one defining character trait is that he eats. That was in the OP that I spied for the first time ever. He's eating a donut in the brief insert frame that he appears. Good job, sure. And the, and the, and the only line he has in this episode is, man, I thought there'd be a feast. And I'm like... Oh. For fuck's sake! Yeah, Ik- Ikuno has one line this episode. Yeah, the only thing that's well-rounded about Futoshi's characters is fucking gut. God, just you oh. had to. I mean, I, I, I okay, I, I really shouldn't say that. But, <laughs> I mean, I'm just going by what the show has presented to me with so far, which is mm-hmm. that's his defining trait. Yeah, no, I mean, it's not it's giving his, us it's anything. It's in the OP. Nothing. It's in the OP. He's the one character who's eating in the OP. Mm-hmm. So what am I meant to take away from that? Like, that's his fucking special skill as far as the show's concerned. Great. whoop de fuck he do Anyway, let's talk about the final scene of this episode. The yeah. thing that I just... Oh, I'm face-planting so hard. Really? I was kind of neutral about it, but... Uh, well, first off, how, how how right was I when I was like, oh god, she is going to look at the mirror and reflect if she's a monster or not? Ah, uh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> Didn't even fucking wait for. But mm-hmm. what really made me chuckle is, okay, she's got fangs. So Zero Two's like looking at her teeth, and she's got like her canines are coming out. I'm like, we know this because we saw this when she went feral inside Strelizia's cockpit. Yeah. 
I mean, okay, maybe you can make it, call it artistic license that she was going feral and maybe that she wasn't really, you know, showing big fang teeth and it was more like just for an effect, a visual thing. I think it was like, so she couldn't control it in the cockpit, but under normal circumstances, she's able to until now. And they're just Which pro- protruding on their own. Yeah, yeah. She needs her, uh, she needs her dose of uh, humanity. Blood. Blood. <laughs> Blood, yes. She needs to. She needs to kill a rat in the aqueduct and get a humanity. Oh, fuck. I, I mean, we get it, Franks. We <laughs> we really do get it that zero two is not human, and that this is possibly a bone of contention for her. That it might be a thing that you know she's struggling with her humanity or not. But rather than you know dancing around the issue so hard, you are crossing state lines in doing so. You might actually want to commit to talking about it. And maybe, I mean, Hero, in one of the episodes previous to this, I think it was actually the Boys vs. Girls one, says, Zero Two, be open with me if you've got problems, if something's on your mind. And okay, I'll allow the fact that maybe she is still a bit guarded. But I'm talking more about the show here. Mm -hmm. Start actually playing the cards you've got. You're setting things up here, and you're doing nothing with them. Yeah, I could not give a flying fuck about the Grand Kavash shit. I want to actually see some character work. It could really, it could really do with so much streamlining, because I mean, yeah, I, oh, yeah. There's so, oh, my head hurts, Shane. I don't even know where to begin with this. Shit. Like, there's so many things that they've alluded to that they just haven't come back to. They're just, it's doing yeah. too much. The show is doing too much. I mean. This show is 24 episodes long, but with the amount of actual lateral movement in this plot. Simultaneously, it's doing too much, but also does not have enough to fill its episode time. I don't get it. Yeah, and we're already repeating broad strokes in episodes. The kids get rewarded. There's a character-focused episode that doesn't tie into anything else. Zero Two has questions about her humanity. <laughs> and the robo-bishops have got something going on in the background. And scene. That's it. We did it, yeah. guys. We've wrote an episode of Frank's. Yeah. Send it off. Great. Put it in the Shirobako. I'm absolutely fucking astounded at this shit. I just... Do something. <laughs> just... I, I'm like I'm like the fucking guys from Spaceballs. Do something. Do something. Do something. <laughs> I I don't think it's unreasonable for us to expect some reason, like a decent amount of like actual revelations come out here, and then to have that revelation change the characters in a meaningful way. I don't think that what happened to Zorame in this episode was meaningful at all, and that is by his own admission. Now I'll grant you that's my interpretation of it. I'm not going to pretend that. That's the de facto way it should be read. But when a character literally says, I stopped thinking about it after the fact, in an in a monologue designed only to relay that information to the audience, that way it can't be questioned or challenged by the other characters, what am I meant to take away from this? I mean, it's fair. It's fair. I, I stand by what I had said about it earlier, that that it, he, you know, he's mourning and lost his childhood dream and it's part of his maturation into adulthood and everything. But, like, if... If there's nothing else said about it, you know what I mean. Then it, it it kind of it doesn't really matter what I what I see it as and, and read it as. Like it just it will be rendered moot by the show itself. So and 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 I don't and I don't like necessarily really expect the show to come back to it. 
It's it just hasn't come back to enough things. Techno cancer, the book, all that stuff. You know, the previous squads. Like we need uh, some more information about that stuff, and instead we're we're getting more mysteries and more vagaries. You know, who is uh, the blonde kid who, you know, called her a uh, Yoda 9? Like, what the fuck is a Yoda 9? <laughs> the nines. What? What is, why is the Grand Crevasse? What does he even look like, this Grand Crevasse? What if it is just a giant ass? It really probably <laughs> is just a giant fucking sphincter. Just two mountains next together. <laughs> yeah. I would actually be okay with them so often bringing up the Grand Crevasse if we were shown it rather than being told it. Screenwriting 101 here. Just, I mean, anime is, you know, a visual medium. You might want to show us maybe some satellite photos of what it looks like. You know, give us something, anything, rather than just vaguely alluding to it and waving your hands around like you're a fucking stage magician. Well, this is the least of the show's problems, but... Oh, boy. It's representative of all of them, though. And, uh, well, actually, no, it's not, because the show has other more annoying problems, like the gender politics, mm-hmm. which is just fantastic. Mm-hmm. I mean, if we do, I mean, Zarbe pitched that question in this episode, and I swear to God, I mean, I'm annoyed now, but if we come back to that point, it actually does turn out, oh, yeah, we did actually make it so that only men and women pilot the Franks, as they have a special relationship. And, again, as I must have stated before, you know, well, however you code this fucking sexual metaphor into the piloting thereof... It doesn't mean that they actually end up conceiving anything. There's no birth thing from this. So, I mean, you know, why can't it be, you know, guy on guy, girl on girl? No, it doesn't matter. As far as Franks is concerned, uh-huh. you know, LGBTQ plus is a fucking sandwich filling. It's, it's not, you know, it's not a spectrum of, you know, genders and sexualities. That, that, that doesn't matter. No, I mean, it, I, again, I, if they do it, if they do it, I'd be, you know, open to them, to to Papa and friends going there as long as it was, you know, a target for for dismantling. So yeah, I I I'd be with you on that. If there had been any sort of like hinting so far that maybe they had revised out of their history or were mm-hmm. generally, I mean, they have had opportunities to do that. Like Zero Two has now licked two of the girls. And maybe if they were monitoring closely, they might have gone, no, 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 no. <laughs> no lesbians allowed. We're having that chimney. No. No. Just troops descend on them from, like, yeah. cables in the ceiling. <laughs> so if, if, if Franks had given any hint whatsoever that it was going to subvert that, or, you know, set it up to be knocked down, I, I would buy that. But currently, the only hints I've got are, well, Kokoro's motherly. The boys are aggressive and like to fight each other. I'm I'm really actually quite surprised at this point that Akuno hasn't ended up making cookies for them because that's how regressive the show feels at times. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Girl Scout cookies, everyone. So, how do you rate this one? Despite getting really annoyed at it, I'm going to give it a two and a half. Uh, specifically, a two and a half future Oculus Rifts out of five. Very good. Uh. I am going to give it a 3.25 Pencil Man cosplays out of 5. Slender um, Man. 
<laughs> well, I you know, gender politics and everything we said bringing it down, but there were some genuinely, I thought, provocative and affecting moments in this episode. I just I just don't have faith that it's it's going to matter, you know, as you no. as you pointed out. So, I think that dampens my enthusiasm a little bit or I would, I would rate this a lot higher, but this is why you should do this podcast with me <laughs> because then, he, then no, no, that's how, I mean, it's how I felt. I mean, that's, you know, I think the show has given me more than enough warrant to feel this way by itself. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Anyway, uh, Quick bit of housekeeping, folks, before we sign off. We're currently actually reviewing with the general public if we'll continue with Franks or not when it hits the midpoint and the spring season starts. So the natural point at which, you know, we might be able to abandon ship <laughs> if we felt the need to. Um, e- eject like Ichigo out of the Franks with a quickness. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, God, are, we, are you and me going to have to, like, you know, draw straws and who gets left with the show? <laughs> and that's the deal after who the fact. Who gets left in the fluid? <laughs> Oh, shit. Um, but currently, with 63 votes tallied and two days left at the time of recording, uh, 56% are in favour of us sticking with Franks, and 44 are not. So, first off, I want to say thank you very much to everyone who's actually voted and contributed your opinion on this. I'm actually genuinely happy that people have had such a nice even divide. I mean, I'm okay with doing Franks all the way till the end, and I'm also okay with doing um, another show. But I'm glad that at least, you know, that people seem to feel, you know, that whatever we do, it's worthwhile listening to. So I genuinely do appreciate that. And thank you all for contributing uh, your thoughts on that. Yes. And and whatever happens, I mean, if we do stick with Franks, I mean, I might be annoyed with it. But sometimes tri- difficult or troubling work needs to be taken to task because you can learn from mm-hmm. it. And also, you can still derive value from it. So... I'm all I'm committed until the end on this one, whenever that may be. If it's in two weeks' time or twelve weeks' time, however long it is away, <laughs> I'm okay. I'm okay with that. And I will again say that you know, as much as I might have complained, I still like certain parts of this episode. I mean, while it is one-dimensional, Zorame and Miku's like you know banter ship, as I call it, is pretty good. I like that you know it's a it's a fun little scrap that they have. Mm-hmm. So there's that. The visual design is always nice. That's all. That's something you know to look at. And who knows? Maybe there will be more that will come out of what we've learned uh, today from you know these revelations about the adults and such. Who who can say? I mean, that's again the whole point of doing, or the whole uh, caveat of doing a week on week thing. We can only speak to our reactions at the time, but we may very well be proven wrong. Yeah. Although that being said, I'm not optimistic when the show <laughs> goes so basic about such things as a mirror. Like, well, who the fuck... I mean, Christ. No prizes for guessing what that was going to be used for. I certainly didn't think, you know, that... Ah, shit. Anyway, but yes, uh, thank you all very much for voting. Uh, If this is out in time that the uh, poll is still up, then by all means, drop your vote in there and let us know if you'd like us Mm -hmm. to continue on with Darling the Franks or choose something different. Whatever you want to do, folks, we're happy to go either way. And now, let us conclude. So, Doctor, Herr Doctor, where can they find you on the internet well you can find me on twitter at the subtle doctor and you can find me a curious cat if you'd like to ask a question or receive an answer that is not a thread a 280 character per tweet thread uh at curious cat dot me slash the subtle doctor Mm-hmm. As for me, you can find me at Shade and Ten Ten on Twitter, 
or at curiouscat.me slash Shaden. So feel free to, you know, get on that. Send me questions, send me tweets, send me pictures. Nothing too intimate, please, though. Like, you know, sometimes... I mean, I don't have, you know, image preview turned on my phone because I don't want people seeing thumbnails of, like, whatever lewds end up getting tweets onto my timeline. But that also means I'm too curious for my own good. So if you start putting titty on my timeline, I may potentially, you know... Oh, shit, I'm getting incentive to do this, aren't I? Crap, I didn't think this through. Never mind, I'll let this out later, I'm sure. <laughs> Uh, but anyway, thank you all very much, folks, for listening to episode 10, the triple X, you know, X going to give it to you, episode <laughs> of Street of Four <laughs> on Darling in the Franks. And as we always like to say on this podcast, as we conclude, embrace each other, everyone, to the ends of the universe, and a very good night. Mwah. Mm-hmm.